The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 140. In Prague, the average beer costs 80 cents, and the average bottle of water costs $1.30. I guess that makes that decision easy. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is a fellow peanut butter lover and a man who just got back from exploring some of my favorite places in the world, Nate Buchanan, founder of Peanut Butter Printing and creator of the Bucket List Lifestyle Blog. Nate, thanks for joining me today, and welcome. Thanks for having me on the show, Trav. And guys, we will actually be having Nate on two shows in a row here. So today's show, we're going to be talking to Nate all about his travels and how he was able to plan, prepare, and execute his first really big multi-city, multi-country, multi-continent trip. And he's going to give you all his best tips and tricks for that. And then we're also going to be doing a second show about Nate's entrepreneurial journey because he's doing some really cool stuff over at his company and just helping touch lives in a lot of different ways. So if you like what you hear in this episode, we'll be releasing the second episode on Thursday. So this kicks off Nate Buchanan week on the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast. Woo. So I could talk to him blue in the face about planning a trip, but I'm super excited to have you on today, Nate, because you're going to tell us how you planned your first big trip, how it went, the things that you messed up, the things that you did well, all that good stuff that people listening might say, well, yeah, Travis, you've done it a lot, or you have people who have traveled the world and are much better traveled than I am, all that kind of stuff. But it's going to be really cool because we get to hear this EPOP success story from you, from someone who has traveled a little bit, but now did this this crazy adventure, something that you've always wanted to do. So let's start by breaking down for people where you actually went. All right, so we had two weeks, and we did three different continents and five different countries. So it was a whirlwind trip. We were traveling from place to place extremely quickly, uh, but it was a blast. So we started, uh, we live in Nashville, so that's where we started from. And then we went to New York, and we had seven hours there, but I count that because we got out and we saw quite a bit. And then from there, we went to Milan, Italy. We didn't even spend the night while we were there, but we were there for a full day. And then from there, we took an overnight train to Vienna, Austria. And then after that, we went to the Prague, Czech Republic. We went to Thailand. We spent a week there in Bangkok and then went down to the islands. And then on our way home, we went through Beijing, saw the Great Wall, and then through Chicago and back to Nashville. So that is the epitome of a, of a whirlwind tour. And I like that on your site, you broke it down. I'm just going to read this for people because it's. I love when people break stuff down by the numbers. So it's two weeks, three continents, five countries, 10 airports, 14 nights, five flights, two carry-ons, one hostel, three hotels, two trains, four overnight flights, and one overnight train. So 
That is, yeah, that's a crazy trip. So if anyone's listening, I mean, that might even be quicker than some of the trips that I've done. So we're going to delve <laughs> into if that was a good thing, a bad thing, if it was just what it was. But I want to back up a little bit and talk about your traveling history because we said this was, you know, your first big crazy trip. Were you always a big traveler growing up? And what other trips had you done previous to this crazy one? I wasn't a big traveler growing up. My family always made it a point to like go on vacation at least once a year, and it rarely included flying. We usually went somewhere like Florida or something like that, or my family was big into camping. So I didn't do a lot of international travel. Uh, when I got into high school and college, I started doing a little bit more. I went on a mission trip to Nicaragua, Mexico, and then during my MBA, we went down to Chile to study the wine industry, which really just turned into visit wineries and <laughs> drink wine. Um, <laughs> what an MBA program. How right, did I sign right. up for that? Yeah, University of Tennessee MBA. So anybody, <laughs> I, I think they're still taking the trip too. All right. So plug for them. And then I guess my wife and I got married about a year and a half ago, and we went to Belize on our honeymoon. So before this trip, that was about the extent of my international travel. Yeah, so still a decent amount of traveling, but never to Europe, right? Never to Asia, never to that right. over the Atlantic, I guess. I yeah, I had only been south to to Central and South America, so I'd never done like the travel east and the jet lag thing, and so it, there were a lot of new experiences on this trip. And then what spurred you on to take on this type of trip? Because instead of just saying, "Hey, we're going to go to Europe for." we have two weeks. Let's go to Europe for two weeks. Obviously, there's plenty of you could do in Europe for two weeks. There's plenty you could do in one country in Europe for two weeks. Why the, hey, let's hit Europe for the first time, then let's go to Thailand, then let's go to China real quick, and then let's come home. Why the big, long, intense trip? Okay. So I guess to back up a little bit, I got into travel hacking about two years ago and started following a bunch of blogs that talked about miles and points and different kinds of stuff like that. And then one of the things that came along with that was learning about mistake fares. And so that's actually what set this entire trip up was a mistake fare from New York to Bangkok, Thailand. And I think it was like last March that this happened. Yeah, not not exactly sure the time frame. Yeah, I but forget too. We got the ticket as well. And I remember us talking about it. I don't remember when the mistake fair came up, but right, it was last right. year sometime. When I, I think it actually might have been your tweet that got me on the mistake <laughs> fair, but I've got like a, a Twitter list of like 47 different travel bloggers, I think. And my morning routine is get up, eat some cereal and scroll through my Twitter list while I'm eating breakfast. And so I'd woke up one morning, was scrolling through the list and saw, you know, like crazy cheap flights to Thailand. And that was somewhere that my wife and I had always kind of talked about wanting to go, jumped on my computer. And that was an adrenaline rush, <laughs> you know, because you never know how long they're going to last or anything like that. And so I'm getting on there trying to get it to price outright. And I think on that mistake fair, you had to go from New York to Milan, and then you had to leave from Prague and go somewhere in Southeast Asia, I believe, yeah. to get the ticket to price out too cheaply. And so Bangkok and Thailand was one of the options. So just booked a ticket for the end of the year and then basically planned around the mistake there. I think the tickets were $225 a piece to go from New York to Thailand. Yeah, it's crazy. And if you guys are listening and you're you're unsure of the mistake fare is or you you kind of have an idea, we we've done a post on it. We'll link that in the show notes. You can also go to extra pants and you can Google like airline mistake fare. 
But in essence, what happens is there's a computer glitch or something's wrong with the system and like tickets are a fifth the price or, or less of what they should be. And as Nate alluded to, they can go really quick. Like there's no telling when the company's going to catch on that there's a mistake. So if you see something like that happen, and, and Nate, you made a good point. I mean, it, you use Twitter and you set up all these different alerts and things like that. If you guys don't use Twitter, obviously you can, you know, we try to post stuff on Extra Pack of Peanuts, but they're quick. They're two, four, six hours maybe, and they're gone, sometimes a day. But theflightdeal.com, I always give props to those guys because they they run an awesome website and they're always posting up different fares. So even if you just want to follow one website, do that. As you said, you have to hop on. It's adrenaline rush, right? You just figure it out and you have 24 hours to cancel the ticket. If you're leaving out of the US, you always have 24 hours to cancel. So book it, figure it out later. You have 24 hours to figure out, hey, can I actually go? When is this going to work? If it's not, then just cancel it and you don't get charged. Yeah. So that was kind of what set the entire trip up. And then from there, we just kind of planned around it. And at that point, I was just so excited that I was getting tickets for $225 to Thailand. I really didn't take into account how much planning and preparation was going to go into the rest of this trip. And so I booked it and then it was like, six or eight months away and didn't really think about it. And then it got to be about three months out. And I was like, man, I got to get to planning this trip around the world. Yeah, I mean, it really it just kind of consumed the next three months, honestly. I mean, I think you could probably do it faster, but I enjoy the planning process and learning about all the different places. And so we spent a lot of time at Barnes & Noble going through a bunch of Rick Steves books for Europe. We loved Rick Steves. We thought he did, you know, gave us some fantastic stuff to do. And Unfortunately, he doesn't do anything for right. Asia. He and only so, does Europe. I mean, he does yeah. it awesome, but he only he does. does Europe. So, so yeah, then you know some other some other guidebooks, and obviously the internet. You and I had talked in between, and I think I gotten a couple ideas from you of places to go, and so it's interesting because you build it around the mistake first, so you knew, and and you said like. And it was a weird mistake fare because you had to fly into Milan, like you mentioned. Then you had to fly out of Prague. But for some reason, that was making the prices go all screwy. How did you decide what you wanted to do? Because the problem for me, and I think the problem for a lot of people, is there's so many places we want to go that it becomes hard to actually narrow down where we want to go. Like, And especially when, especially when you touch down in Europe for the first time, or even if you've been there a bunch of times like we have, there's so many cities and it's so easy to get around. You know, you were in Milan for a day, not a night. Why did you decide to go to Vienna? Why did you decide to spend a little bit of time in Prague? And then talk about when you got to Thailand, how and why you decided to go to the islands versus up north or whatever. Those are really good questions. And I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot how hard it was to decide where we were actually going in Europe because we started in Milan, Italy. And then I think it was like five days later, we left from Prague to go to Thailand. So we had five days that we had to use to get between the two cities. And so we spent the entire first month of planning, looking at like every city in Europe, you know, it was like, do we go down to Venice to start or do we go up to Switzerland and Munich? And really, you know, we started looking at, okay, how much do trains cost to go to these different places? How much time can we have in each city? I mean, I think at one point we were looking at trying to do like four different cities, sleep on the train every night. And we were like, okay, this is getting a little out of hand. And then Club Carlson points ended up playing a decent role. And so I, I signed up for the Club Carlson credit card, got the 85,000 point sign up bonus. And then I wanted to use those on this trip to kind of offset some of the costs. And Vienna had a really nice Radisson Blue 
right in the middle of the city. We had heard really good things about Vienna at Christmas time. And so that's kind of why we decided to spend two nights there because I guess for the listeners who don't know, if you book a Club Carlson hotel night or award night with your points, then the second one's free. So I didn't want to waste that second free night. That's what we did in Slovakia. We're like, well, we, we want to stay three days. We might as well stay four because why would we cut off a free night? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we had to start Milan. We had to end in Prague. And then the Club Carlson points kind of helped us decide on Vienna, which we were extremely grateful for because Vienna is amazing at Christmas. They just do it right. Lights everywhere. Christmas markets, good food, hot wine. It was fantastic. Yeah. And I, I've never been to Vienna in during Christmas, but during the fall. And it's still, you know, the, the fall festivals. It's just a really pretty city, like regardless. And then to, to throw on all the festivities and things like that, I can only imagine that it's a great time. So, all right, you talked a little bit about accommodations. And I want to jump onto that then. And then we can back up about some of the other planning because you were able to do the accommodations really cheap. I mean, we talk about getting a cheap plane ticket and that's great. Of course, you know, if you can fly somewhere for 200 bucks, that that allows you the ability to then have money to do other things. But you also did really good on booking accommodations. So where did you look to book? What did you use? You talked a little bit about using Club Carlson points. Where did you stay? Were you staying in hotels? Were you staying in hostels? How did you figure all that out? Because that's the second big expense behind the flights. Right. So I think we had 14 or 15 nights on the trip. One of the things that helped us save money was that we slept on an airplane for four nights. Not that that's necessarily preferred, but it was uh, essentially free lodging for the night. And then so we flew from New York to Milan. So we slept on the plane there. And then we had a day in Italy where we definitely suffered from jet lag. I remember we had stopped in a coffee shop to get some coffee because we were both dead tired. And I looked over at my wife And well, I looked because I heard something like hit the table and she was at the table and she'd been on her phone trying to find something and she had fallen asleep and her phone had hit the table. Better than, I guess, holding her coffee, right? And falling that 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 going everywhere. So, and then the next night from, we took an overnight train from Milan to Vienna. So that was another thing that played into the Vienna decision was we wanted to go somewhere that was far enough away that we could do an overnight train so we could, so we could sleep on the train. And I know that you and I have similar styles of frugalness, so I always like to save as much money as possible, but my sister had recently been to Europe and talked us into splurging on a sleeper car, so it was just the two of us. We each had a bed, which I'm very thankful for now because we were so jet-lagged, like I needed that bed really bad. That That's a good point. Sometimes when you're planning it, you think, well, I'm going to push through this. I'm going to push through that. Or or you don't even think like I'm going to be super jet lagged. You just think, how can I get from one place to the other? How can it be the cheapest? And then when you're there, it hits you like, well, this is great that I'm here, but it's hard to enjoy. And you don't know if it's going to be, you know, you never know how jet lag is going to affect you. Sometimes I'm ready to go. And sometimes I'm just, I can't even move, you know, like I'm like your wife, I'm just falling asleep. (laughs) And I do think that a little bit of planning and saying, all right, well, if we are that bad, maybe we should get a nicer hotel for the night, or maybe we should splurge for the sleeper car. It it definitely can make or break a part of a trip. And that's really cool that you did it. The sleeper car, do you remember the price? Was it nice? Like if someone was going to take this trip, because I've never done a sleeper car between Milan and Vienna. I mean, it was worth it. 
I think it ended up being about $200 for the car for the night. So not really cheap, but I think our other option, I think the cheapest option was maybe like $50 a person. So we paid an extra $100 for the sleeper car. Totally worth it for us because we were traveling so quickly. If we wouldn't have gotten a good night's sleep, then we would have gotten to Vienna and basically wasted another day. But we were so tired by the time we got on the train we got the beds pulled out immediately because you can kind of choose, you know, when they lay the beds down for you. And we slept uh, the entire time. So I, I've heard some people and friends who had a hard time sleeping because the train's kind of rocking back and forth, but that wasn't the case for us. Yeah, I've only done sleeper trains in kind of like third world conditions. Like mm. we did one between Slovakia and Croatia. It was not third world, but it wasn't the nice. We've done one in China. Like they're all right, but I've never done one between two countries that you would expect it to have like a nice sleeper train. So that's pretty cool. It was good. I mean, like house shoes. We had a little sink in our cabin where we could brush our teeth. They brought us breakfast. It, it was a good experience. All right. We've talked about you traveling kind of quick. So I, we could jump into this part of it of squeezing everything in. And we haven't even got to Thailand yet, but let's just talk even about the European part because you said you almost did four cities. And that sounds, I feel like I'm talking to myself. Like, <laughs> oh, we're just going to run around and do all this and sleep on the trains. And there, You can do some of it. And of course you can do it. And, and it probably would have turned out okay as well. But it's trying to balance that line between doing too much and also getting to see all the things you, you want to do. Did you feel like you did it too quick. If you, if you would have went back, would you have cut something out? Would you have just stayed in Vienna for four nights and then basically gone to Prague to fly out? How would you have done it looking back on it? So Milan, and I'd heard this before, and I think I got some good advice. Milan as a city was good for a day, but that, that's about as long as I wanted to stay there. We saw the Milan Cathedral. And then we saw the Last Supper, the original painting of the Last Supper. And those were kind of the two highlights there. And then after that, I was basically ready to go. Vienna, two nights was good. I, I could stay in Vienna for a week and have a blast, but I feel like we were able to get all of the big sites in, even with spending a lot of time at Christmas markets and stuff like that. And then Prague, we basically had a half day on either side of Prague. So Prague probably didn't get enough time in our trip, but Prague also didn't get to put its best foot forward for us because when we got there, it was 28 degrees and raining. And I don't even know how that happens, but it did. And it was freezing and miserable. And we had the Rick Steves audio guides. And that was kind of what we did when we got to every city first. We'd put in the Rick Steves guide, walk around the city. And you know, by the time you walk and you find all the places, it's like three hours. And so we got to Prague. We forced ourselves to do it in the freezing rain. And we got about 30 minutes through it and we're just so miserable. We had to <laughs> go back and warm up in our hostel. Man, we're having similar experiences. I feel the exact same way with Milan. We've only ever spent a long day. Well, actually, we did sleep because we had to get on the plane the next morning. But it was basically a long day in Milan. Maybe there's some charm underneath <laughs> if you hang out there long enough. But I mean, I've loved other Italian cities much more. I would, I would echo what you said. If you're going to Milan, the cathedral's cool. The Last Supper painting is cool, and then I I could move on. And we also we love we liked Prague. It was great, but we got the same type of thing. It was like cold and freezing rain. Beautiful city, but yeah, not its not its best foot forward. So when you're planning this trip, you know, because you're this is your first time doing a crazy trip like this. 
Was it intimidating? Because I, I like that you mentioned like you didn't do anything for the first five months. You know, you had eight months to play in it. And like most of us, I probably would have waited like seven months and then been the last month done it. Were you intimidated? How did you take that? Because I think this is going to help a lot of people if we give them not a step-by-step process, but like, all right, I started doing this first and then I moved on to this and then I moved on to that. Because a lot of people listening also prefer to plan their own trip. They're kind of independent travelers like we are. What type of things did you do that you would say, hey, this really helped me when I was actually trying to plan to go to five different countries? So it was probably more intimidating than I thought it was going to be. So originally, I just booked a trip and was like, this is going to be no problem. We're going to plan this trip around the world and probably do it in a few days, and then we'll hop on the plane and go do it. And then it ended up taking a lot more time than that. But honestly, where we started was Barnes & Noble with Rick Steves guidebooks and kind of looking at the different cities, what to do. And then, as I said before, our accommodations were kind of dictated by the points that we had. And then we used, when we were in Prague, we did stay in a hostel. We booked a private room in a hostel and we used Hostel World for that. And Hostel World's good because, you know, they have rankings on all of their hostels and you can kind of look at a map and see, we booked one really close to the uh, city center. And so, that was good for us. And then as far as trains go, the man in seat 61, the website, it looks pretty terrible. Like somebody had suggested it. And when I first went to it, I was like, what is this? But the information on there is fantastic. So that's how we found the overnight train. Yeah. Mark, uh, he's been on the, he's been a guest on the show. He's an awesome guy, but an even better resource for train travel. And if you as Nate said, if you go there and you look at it, it's it looks like it was built 15 years ago, which it was. And but he has so much information. I think it's just at this point he figures, hey, people, at least you can easily navigate it. That's the thing right. that I've always loved. It doesn't look flashy or cool, but it's easy to navigate, and that's kind of, I guess, the purpose of a website overall. So awesome information, train like pictures of any train you could imagine. Like here's what a Prague Metro looks like, you know, and right. it's just cool because I think it helps. I, I know for me, like I had no idea what a, a, a train in China would look like. So I went on to his site and he, he even said to me like, go to this link, here's pictures. He was like, I think there might've even been a video on there. So at least you know what you're getting into a little bit. It doesn't seem so like scary, I guess. So Definitely. I would agree. I probably would have been disappointed in the sleeper car had I not have seen it on the site. Because to me, like this private sleeper car in a train sounds like this luxurious, nice accommodation. And it was this tiny yeah. little like bitty silver thing. Silver platters just... and then pouring right, tea. Right. And... <laughs> so yeah, th- that was good to have that to set expectations. And then another thing we did, we used TripAdvisor. You know, I mean, I think you you get a lot more of the popular stuff that everybody knows about. But one, I always like to go through and read the reviews of places that we're going to go. But two, we download it. Most of the cities that we went to were big cities, and TripAdvisor has downloadable city maps. And so we would download the maps, and then if you're on TripAdvisor, you can save an attraction or somewhere you want to visit or something like that, and it'll put a star on your downloaded map. And so that's kind of what we use to navigate around all of the cities. Yeah, I would again. It's like I'm talking to myself. It's great. I mean, TripAdvisor, highly recommend. I will say too, and we can get into Thailand now. I don't know what resources you used 
for Southeast Asia, but I'm going to, if you don't talk about one, I'm going to specifically mention it. But maybe you used it too, because I am like looking in a mirror here. Let's talk about going to Thailand, because you spent a decent amount of time there, and it was less kind of go, go, go. How did you start preparing for that? Because like you said, Rick Steves does Europe. He does it really well. I'd highly recommend his guidebooks. But what about Thailand? What did you use? And and that's a little more exotic, right? Like, you you know, oh, I, I want to make sure I'm doing stuff right. Because you can have, you can have bad experiences anywhere. But I think there, people would be a little more intimidated about that uh, leg of the trip. Right. So again, that started at Barnes & Noble. I think that was a Lonely Planet book or something like that. One of, one of the guidebooks that you could pick up there. And I remember the first day we went in and... It was funny for us looking back after we had planned it because we had thrown out like 20 different places in Thailand that we could go because we were flying into Bangkok and from there you can go anywhere. And so, you know, looking back, we were going to go to all these different islands. And then again, I'm glad we consolidated it to basically, I guess we stayed in three different places, but we spent the bulk of the time in one of them and that ended up working out really good for us. But Again, points kind of dictated where we stayed. So we got to Bangkok. I'm not sure how long we would have stayed there had the points not have been an issue. But we had some more Club Carlson points. And so we found another Radisson Blue in Bangkok. And so we booked two free nights there and then decided that we would move on from there. And then we knew we wanted to go to the islands because I feel like anybody who goes to Thailand that's seen the pictures of the big rocks, the karst sticking out of the water, you know, like at least in my mind, that's what I pictured when I thought of Thailand. And so I had to go see that. Right, Right. And so we wanted to go down to the islands. We did a lot of research on the different places to stay. There's PP, Phuket, you know, all the different kind of major tourist islands, I guess, or the, the really popular ones. And that's, you know, like go out, party at night. That's not really our style. And so we kind of were looking for something a little more laid back, but also were restricted by the fact that we couldn't really go off the beaten path too far because we didn't have a lot of time. Right. And so Rayleigh Bay kind of ended up being the the perfect fit for us. It's not an island, but it's surrounded by these big limestone cliffs. And so the only way to get there is by boat. So it kind of has that island feel and it's also kind of like a rock climber hangout. So it's got a really chill vibe and I, I climbed and stuff in college. And so I didn't, oh, we, we actually did. We ended up uh, rock climbing for a day while we were there. But so that, that was one of the other things that appealed to our decision of staying there. And then, so we stayed three nights on Rayleigh Bay and then we stayed one night on a boat off of, PP Lay, so Maya Bay, uh, you can't stay on that actual island where the beach is because they don't let anybody stay there overnight. And I'd heard about how crowded it was, but it's like, if you've seen a picture of Thailand beaches, that's probably the one you've seen. Right. If you've seen the, uh, like whenever they send out credit card flyers, right? Like get 40,000 points and there's a picture of like boats and this awesome beach. Maya that's Bay. that's Maya Bay. And it's also the setting for the movie The Beach. So if anyone's seen that movie, you know, it's supposed to be the most beautiful beach in the world. I think it's still the most beautiful beach I've seen in person. It's fantastic. But as, as you said, Nate, you can't stay there. So I actually didn't know. I guess I knew, but I've never done it. Stayed on a boat off like in the bay where you like you were just on a boat in the bay then. Right, right. So I think 
they said originally when we booked it, they said they were the only company that was allowed to do it, which we were the only, we got to stay on the island till about 11 p.m. So it's kind of cool because you take the boat out there about midday, you get there, there's a huge crowd, and then about 5.30 or 6, everybody else has to leave because it's starting to get dark. And so then you just have the island to yourself with this group. And so I think there were about 25 people that were on our boat and they cooked us a good dinner, you know, and everybody just kind of hung out. Unfortunately, I did not get to enjoy the dinner because I was suffering from (laughs) stomach issues, which was an extremely unfortunate place to be suffering from that because we were on this island. The only bathroom on the whole island is like 300 yards back (laughs) into the jungle. It was still an enjoyable experience as a whole, but I was not in the best uh, health to enjoy it. Do you know how much that ran? Because that's that's really interesting. I've never done it. I've only ever stayed on um, on PP on Co PP. And then, if you guys do that, I would suggest getting a long tail boat out there in the morning. Because, like Nate said, it gets packed when the tourists get out there, like at nine a.m. all the way throughout the day. If you're staying in PP, you can hire a boat and say, "Take me out there at six a.m. or five a.m. or whenever you want to go." It's really cool when no one else is out there. How much did it cost to? to stay on a boat the whole night there. That was another splurge for us. It cost about $100 a night per person. So we we paid $200 to do it for a night, which is expensive, but you know, it's really not that much more expensive than like a nice hotel. And that's kind of like one of those at least in Mars like a once in a lifetime experience. And you you got the place to yourself that night, you went back to the beach in the morning. And then that night you could jump in the water and they have the bioluminescent plankton. And so you could swim with them. So it it was a neat experience. It was worth the money. Yeah, that is, that's really, really cool. And a great area of Thailand. Again, if, if anyone is going, you have to, whether you go out to the islands, whether you go to Koh Lanta, Koh Phi Phi, whether you go further off the beaten path. And as you said, Nate, I think that's a good suggestion. If you, if you don't have time or you, you know, to go onto these off the beaten path places, you can stay in Krabi, uh, in Raleigh Beach, like, and it's easier because you can easily get back to the airport, to Krabi Airport, fly to Bangkok. It's it's not as hard as if you go all the way out to the islands because then you have to take a ferry an hour and a half out and a ferry an hour and a half back and stuff like that. It gives you that feel of it. So overall, Thailand, I mean, did it... Because Thailand's the place that when people say to me, I want somewhere that's exotic, you know, I don't want it to be hard. I don't want it to be remote. I don't want it to be crazy, but I want something that's way different than what I've been to. It's always kind of my go-to of like, go to Thailand. It's the best of kind of all the worlds. It was amazing. And I think we kind of skipped over Bangkok and expectations played a lot into how I'm going to talk about this, but I had pretty low expectations for Bangkok, just this big Asian city. And, but I had really high expectations for the beaches but we got to Bangkok and I just loved it. Like I would have spent so much more time there because everything is just so foreign. The food is so good. And I'm sure as you can appreciate, everything is so cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, going and eating, you know, like appetizers, drinks and a meal for both my wife and I for a total of $5. So I, we we ate off the street the whole time we were there. We actually, one of the days we went out to Ayatoya which is where the ruins of the old temples are. And that was really neat. I will say 
for anybody who wants to go do that. We had read it was a really good idea to rent bikes and ride around through all these ruins. And so that's what I picture is ruins in a big field and then riding bikes through this field. But it's ruins that a city has built up around. And so you're going down all these crazy roads. That was probably the most uh, in danger we put ourselves. The whole trip was biking around the Ayutthaya ruins. Yeah, and if anyone's looking for suggestions of things to do in Southeast Asia, we've been mentioning Rick Steves for Europe, and it's great. There's a website called travelfish.org, and it's by far the best resource Stuart, is, who's the founder, is a good friend of mine. Me and Heather hung out with him in Bali, and he's been doing it for... He's come on the podcast, and he's been doing it for 19 years or living there for like 21 years. He has everything covered. Like, If you want to know about the most obscure island in Thailand, he's been there. He's been to 31 different Thai islands, so he's hitting them all. If you want like a Rick Steves personal feel about Southeast Asia, of like I just want to know a person's opinion, not like a you know, a big conglomerate guidebook opinion. It's it's an amazing site to check out. So that's travelfish.org. And we'll link that up in the show notes, guys. I want to ask you, Nate, about the luggage situation, the packing situation, because I know you're a fellow like carry-on junkie, but it's harder for our, our wives, you know, these these beautiful wives than these like scruffy men to whittle things down. So how hard was it packing for this trip? Because you went from cold Europe, you know, freezing cold Europe, like 28 degrees in Prague to Thai islands. What did you pack? How hard was it getting everything into a carry-on? And was it harder for you? Was it harder for your wife? It was very tough. So one, you know, this was our first big trip. I haven't always been a carry-on snob or, you know, I, that, that hasn't always been my preference, but listening to other people who travel more seriously like yourself and some other people, you know, I knew that we could we could save money doing that. I like the idea of not being loaded down with stuff. And so that's, we both got new bags. We got these Osprey convertible bags that have the wheels and the shoulder straps. They were fantastic. Uh, maybe should have splurged on a Tortuga. I don't know, but I did enjoy the wheels. So I guess it's just a preference thing there. I was surprised that I had so much trouble packing in a carry-on. I didn't think it was going to be any problem for me, but guys' clothes are also bigger than girls clothes. So that's, you know, like they might need more because they want to feel pretty, but guys clothes are just bigger. Like a pair of jeans, you know, that that takes up a lot of room or like a coat. All of my wife's clothes were like tiny, but she did a good job. That probably impressed me more than anything on the trip was that she got everything she needed into a carry-on. One thing, the Osprey bags that we had had a detachable backpack. And I didn't intentionally do this at the beginning, but I had told her that we were not bringing the attachable backpacks. And so she packed everything thinking that she was going to have to leave it in the, or, you know, I have to fit everything in the carry on. But eventually I realized that we were going to have to bring the backpacks because like I needed to take my computer for work and a few other things like that. And there was no way I could fit everything in mine. And so I knew probably a month out that we were going to take these attachable backpacks, but I didn't tell her until the day before because I knew if I told her that she could take the whole backpack, that she would stuff that full of stuff as well. And so I, I hope that she appreciates it and feels like she had a lot more room the rest of the trip. Yeah, I think that that's great advice. I tell people that they should travel and just carry on, or I say that I do and I really like it. And there's a lot of different reasons. One, you pay less. Two, it's just you know, you have less stuff. So it's a little easier to kind of pack up when you have to go and and move around and things like that. You know, it's hard to do. Like if you gave me a larger bag that wasn't carry-on size, I would fill it. 
the easiest way is to force yourself into it by buying a bag that is just carry-on size and saying, I can fill this up, and, and it forces you to do it. And usually, you know, it's like, I don't want people to get the impression I'm like this awesome packer. And, you know, usually it's like busting at the seams and stuff. <laughs> and, and it's still fairly heavy, but... If you if you only have a carry on size bag and that's what you have to pack in, you can usually make it worth it. So that's one way to go about it is to force yourself into it. Before we move forward, I do have to say we bought Eagle Creek packing cubes at a recommendation of somebody else, and those were amazing. And I will not travel without them again, especially because we were moving place to place so much. To be able to get to your hotel or to get to your hostel and then, you know, like I had my pants separated into one, my t-shirt separated into one, and then my socks and underwear in another. And to just be able to like pull the three out of the bag and then be able to get there everything and then when we're ready to leave, throw those three things back in the bag and just be ready to go, that that was a game changer for us. Yeah, Heather keeps wanting to buy them. I am not against them. I just, we just never have. For whatever reason, we've never ended up with them and everyone swears by them. So that'll be our next, that's our next thing then. We have to make the transition. Now we're in carry-ons. Let's do packing cubes. Everyone loves them. So maybe after this podcast, I'll just go on and buy them and then we'll have them, you know? All right. I want to, I know you're super frugal as am I, and I like that. Um, so I want to hear a few of your best tips and tricks for saving money when you're traveling. We've hit on a few, but if you want to kind of recap what you did for this big trip, because it's a two week trip, you went to a lot of places, you know, it could be prohibitively expensive if you had paid out of pocket for everything that you did and you did it in a way that people kind of envision travel, or at least Americans envision travel. What were you able to do to be able to afford to go on a trip like this? So, so I think a lot of my wife and I was being able to travel cheaply is being opportunistic in a sense. So we've taken some bigger trips and we have a couple of bigger trips on the horizon. So it started with the mistake fair, obviously get on the flight deal, get on the EPOP newsletter, you know, and there's a lot of other bloggers who will send out stuff about these mistake fairs. So stay on top of that because that's definitely one of the cheapest ways that you could travel. We booked our flight back from Phuket home with United Miles. I put all my business spending on the Chase Sapphire Preferred card, transferred those miles to United to book those flights home for like less than $100. Then used the Club Carlson credit card to stay four free nights in Radisson Blues. That would have cost probably, I think I added it up like $700 in total for those four nights. And then besides that, we're not travel snobs. So like we don't have to, we stayed at the Radisson Blue because we had the points. But then on the nights that we didn't have points, we stayed in a hostel in Prague. I think we got on a Goda and found a cheap hotel that was, we, we had to walk a little bit further to get to the beach, but we stayed three nights for like 60 a piece, which sounds expensive for Thailand, for some of the things I've heard, but also when you get down to the beach area, things get uh, more expensive. So it was a decent deal. So miles, points, being opportunistic, and then, I mean, if you have high standards, you're going to pay for <laughs> expensive stuff. And so, you know, I'm not going to put my wife and I in a dorm room with this has eight people, you know, and so we're going to have six random people in us, but a private room in a hostel, you know, you have your own bed. It's just the two of you. You can lay your stuff out in the room. You might have to share a bathroom or something like that, but um, it's not bad at all. Yeah, I think that's the dance that we're getting good at is the splurge when it makes sense or or like if you have points, 
you're not really splurging, but treat yourself, whether it's paying or usually using your points or things like that, when it makes sense to, or like, for example, doing that, we're going to stay on the boat, it's $100 a person, but it, it's worth it. And then when you know when you can cut corners or when you can stay places, like instead of getting a ninety dollar a night medium range place, find a sixty dollar a night, and then you're saving thirty bucks. So figure out where it makes sense to kind of cut those corners, and you might even get better places. But yeah, a little bit of research goes the long way, and I like how you put that. Of you know, you don't have to be a snob; you can enjoy nice things, but then you know, balance that out with some places that aren't as expensive. Definitely. And, you know, that's kind of been one of our things. We, we want to save as much money as possible on the transportation and accommodation so that we can pay for experiences like staying on the boat that night. We went deep water soloing when we were in Thailand, which was rock climbing on the karst. And then when you fall, you fall into the water, like there's no ropes. And so that was a cool experience. And we got to do several things like that because we were saving money in other places. Right. Right. I always will pay for experiences over, I guess, comfort. I guess that's a way to put it. But as we get older, of course, the comfort creeps up as well. And, and that's going to happen. So that's a whole nother podcast. I know you're huge into, into crushing your bucket list. You have the Bucket List Lifestyle website, and you've got a lot on there. What's up next for you guys then? So I think one of the things that's moved to the top of our bucket list recently has been marking off the seven continents. And so I'm at four of seven right now. In about a month, we leave to go to South Africa. So I'll be at five of seven. So Australia is going to be uh, very near, <laughs> very near the top. So because that'll be six of seven, it's probably going to take us a little bit longer to get to Antarctica because I can't use miles and points to get me there yet. So it's just saving up to, to go there. Yeah. And South Africa, another mistake fair that you jumped on, right? Yeah, $325 round trip. And so, yeah, it was, you know, like South Africa is not necessarily somewhere that was on our radar, but it was an opportunity and it seemed like a cool place. And kind of to me at this point right now, the further it is, the cooler it seems. And that was a long way away. So we booked the flights and planned it later. Yeah, exactly the same way that Heather and I did. We South Africa, I would love to go to, but I never thought that'd be the next place we were going or we were going to go this year. And then a the opportunity came up and it was 300 bucks. And I thought any other time, it's either going to be a lot of miles or it's going to be $1,400, even if you get lucky. So let's just do it. So I love the opportunistic approach of just saying like, why not? And and that's kind of the fun too, because so many times we have such, we have travel plans all planned out. Sometimes it's fun to just say, we're going here. I didn't know we were going to do it, but we're going to go here. So I really appreciate Nate. Thanks so much for joining us today, becoming an, another EPOP successor. I'm so excited to see all the traveling you're doing and everything you're doing because it's just really cool to watch you go from saying like, yeah, I want to do all this. And then like I'm accumulating all these miles. And now look at me. I've done this amazing trip. I planned it all out. You did a fantastic job. If you could remind people once again, how can they come connect with you, read more about you, find more about your travels and everything that you're doing? I blog at natebuchanan.org on almost all social media. I'm at Nate Buchanan. Apparently that's not a very competitive name to get. So I seem to lock it down on most social media accounts. And then my wife and I have something really big coming up in 2016. For those people who are familiar with Chris Gillibo, I will define this as kind of our quest and it's in the works right now. And I can't exactly announce the details, 
But if people want to be the first to know, bigger than Nashville.com, there's a countdown and they can get on the email list if they want to know what's coming up. Awesome. Guys, if you want to hear more about his travels, yeah, go to NateBuchanan.org. Bigger than Nashville, head there. Also, don't forget, we're going to be featuring Nate's entrepreneurial journey on a separate episode of the podcast. Really cool stuff that he's doing there over at his company. So you want to check that out. If you're listening to this when it first comes out, the second part's going to come out on Thursday. And if you're listening to this later into the future, you can easily hop over. You can find part two at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Also, the show notes for this episode. You can also get it on Stitcher, iTunes, however you're listening to this episode. Nate's part two will be there as well. Lastly, Nate is a part of our new community that we're starting for people wanting to travel around the world and do work they love. It's called Location Indie. If you think you want to get more out of your travel, out of your work, out of life in general, you can check it out, locationindie.com, I-N-D-I-E. Nate, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on and doing part one here. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. And everyone listening, thanks for joining us. Until next time, happy free travels.